Welcome to Redemption Church. You're listening to our weekly podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Well, hey there. Good morning, guys. My name is Byron. I get the great privilege to serve here as the lead pastor and the church planter. And if you're a guest, I want to say welcome. Thank you so much for worshiping and hanging out with us this morning. I'm really excited today because today we start a brand new study through the book of James. If you're new to redemption, the favorite way in which we like to preach the Bible and our Sunday morning gatherings is to go straight through books. We pick a book, we study it verse by verse, we learn it, we live it, we apply it to our lives, so that way we can continue to grow in Jesus. And so I'm very excited today because we're going to start the book of James. And here's what I love about James. James is all about life. How many of you guys need help with this thing called life? Anybody? Yeah, it's in church. You don't have to lie. It's okay. Like, I love James because life happens so fast. It's quick. It's chaotic. It's crazy. And it just comes at you full force fast. That's the way in which James writes. James is going to write to us very fast, covering a lot of different topics. James is very practical, applicable. It's very challenging. But if you listen and learn from James, you will be encouraged. And so I'm really excited because James is not just about how to live a life. James is about how to live a life for God. It's not just about knowing a lot, but it's about doing a lot. It's not just about knowledge, but wisdom, information, but transformation. It's not just about our feelings, but James teaches us how to live a life of faith. And so the subtitle for our series through James is called Bold Words from Jesus's Brother, because James is going to have some bold words for us as a church. He's writing to a church who has lost their direction, lost their passion for the Lord, and they're under persecution, and there's a little bit of division. And so James is going to speak some very bold words to the church. How many of you sometimes wish you were a little bit more bold? Anybody wish you a little bit more bold, a little bit more confident, a little bit more courageous, strong, a little bit more faithful? Okay, then you're not going to want to miss James, any of it. And we're going to spend the next four weeks studying the book, four months rather, studying the book of James, looking at it so that way we too can become bold in life, bold in our faith. So here's what I want you to do. Throughout the duration of this series, I want you to be reading the book of James every single week. It's only five chapters long. You can read one chapter per day, Monday through Friday. Come ready, come willing, come expecting, come anticipating God to do big things through our study in James. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to get to work. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your son Jesus, who was empowered by the Holy Spirit to live a life without sin. That through his death, burial, and resurrection, he gives us new life, And in this new life, he makes us brothers and sisters. Thank you for living a life that impacted the life of James, that James would see you and that James would eventually come to know you. And then he would write this glorious book so that way we can better understand you as well. I pray that the Holy Spirit would be evident as we gather here today in our hearts and our minds so that way we can continue to grow and be the church that you have called us to be. We ask all of this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. If you want to get to know someone, there's a couple of things that you're going to have to do. First, you're going to have to meet them. Like, that's obvious. You're going to need to meet them. And then you you ask questions. You learn their name. You learn their story. You listen to them. And then you're going to meet their friends. You got to meet their friends. And they're going to meet different people who influence them. But if if you really want to get to know someone, then you have to meet their family. Because the family inevitably is going to tell them things about the person that they conveniently forgot to mention, right? Your parents called you booger when you were a kid? Okay, yeah, you forgot to mention that to me. 
conveniently. And that's what it was like whenever me and Ashley met. When I met Ashley, my wife, I got to meet her. We talked, we, we learned about each other, we told stories, we asked questions, and then I got to meet people that were her friends, and then I got to meet people who influenced her in her life. But everything changed when I met Ashley's family. Everything, do you remember when you first met your spouse's family, that moment? Everything changed when I met Ashley's family. And I have an amazing relationship with my in-laws, and I love Ashley's mom. Ashley's mom moved here from South Korea in the 80s. She met Ashley's dad. They started a family. Ashley's mom is great, and she speaks fluent yet broken English. And so the first time that I went to meet Ashley's mom, we started talking, and her mom's talking to me, and I'm like, I got nothing. You can hear her laughing in the front row because that's, that's how the, the day went. So she's talking to me. I'm like, uh, now we'll look to Ashley. And Ashley had to interpret what her mother was saying. And so her mom's talking to me and I'm looking at Ashley. I'm like, I don't know what to do. I don't know what. And Ashley's talking to her. And then finally we were able to, we were able to understand one another. And when we did, we started laughing. We started telling stories. We started to get to know one another. And as our relationship grew, then, then came the family photo albums. And she pulled out the family photo albums and she's showing me pictures of Ashley as a baby and her and her brother and her family and their vacations. And Ashley is totally embarrassed and I'm thinking, this is awesome. And it was really getting to know Ashley's mom and her family that helped me to eventually fall in love with the woman who would one day become my wife. And the same it is with all of our relationships It's also true with our relationship with Jesus. If you want to get to know Jesus, if you want to grow in your relationship with Jesus, you're going to have to do a few things. First, you're going to have to meet him. We call that salvation. Then you're going to need to spend time with him. We call that prayer. You're going to have to learn and listen from him. We do that by studying the scriptures. And as you read the Bible, you're going to meet Jesus's friends. So we call them disciples or apostles. They write books like Matthew and Luke and John and 1 and 2 Peter. And as you're reading through these books, you're also going to get to know Jesus's family. And that's what we're going to do throughout the course of this study is we're going to get to know Jesus's family. My hope in this is that way we can see Jesus's family and then we become part of the family of God. Here at Redemption, we have a saying that says, if you meet the family, then you will meet the father. God is our father. And that God adopts us into this family, and by grace, you and I become brothers and sisters, and then Jesus serves as our big brother. And so, do you want to get to know Jesus' family? Do you want to learn about Jesus' family? Okay, well, the truth is, is there's not really a whole lot talked about Jesus' family. They don't get a lot of notoriety, publicity, mention throughout the scriptures or even through church history. Not a lot of attention is given to the early years in Jesus' life. Here's how we say it in our creeds and our doctrines, which we love and we believe. But basically all we talk about is this. Jesus was born of a virgin, suffered under Pontius Pilate, and then he died. That's basically it. That Jesus was born and then he died. That's typically all that we ever talk about. How would you like if that was your obituary? Right? Jay was born and then he died. Other than that, we don't really know much about him. That's typically, that's, that's how we talk about Jesus. Most people don't spend a lot of time focusing on the early days and those early years of Jesus's life where the Bible says he grew in wisdom and stature and favor with both God and man. But you know who could tell us about those early days? Jesus's family. Because Jesus's family was there. If anyone could tell us about Jesus or why we should trust in him or why we should believe in him, it would be his family because Jesus's family knew him better than anyone else. They saw him as a child. They saw him in the awkward teenage years. They saw him in adolescence. And if there was any faults, failures, sins, or flaws in the life of Jesus, his family would be the first to let us know. How many of you, your family is the first to tell everyone about your mistakes? 
But what's so amazing about the testimony of Jesus' family that we find so insightful and incredible is that they become worshipers and serve in the first church and that the testimony of Jesus' family is very significant as we get to know the person of Christ, that Jesus is the most important, most significant person in the history of the world. More books have been written about him. More songs have been sung to him. We've built universities just to study him. He is the most worshiped person in all of human history. And Jesus's family story is going to shape Jesus's story for us. And so as we get into the study today, we got one verse in the book of James. Got one verse in James, and then we're going to jump back and we're going to look at various scriptures throughout the gospel narratives and the New Testament so that way we can get a full picture of the totality of James's life. So that way we can live a life like James. And so James chapter one, we'll, we'll, we'll get started. Here's what it starts off in James chapter one. James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Okay, pop quiz redemption. Who wrote the book of James? James, you guys are so good. James, first word, first sentence. That's a clear indicator that James would be the author of the book. So James is writing, and who is he writing to? To the 12 tribes. That is Old Testament language for God's chosen elect people. And so these are the chosen people of God. If you are a Christian in the room today, you've been adopted into God's family. And so you are chosen and elect. So James is also writing to you. So James is writing to the church. And then he's going to write another word here called the dispersion. Now that word's a little bit more tricky. So let me, let's just kind of unpack it. The dispersion means that they are scattered across the country. They are dispersed. In that day, there was a great persecution and the church began to move around the world everywhere they go, teaching and telling people about Jesus. And so the church is dispersed all across the country. Think about it like this. James is the head senior pastor of the very first network or denomination of churches. So James is the leader of the network or denomination of the very first church. Here's what it looked like for us here at Redemption. Redemption, we are what's known as a church plant. We started this church a year and a half ago. So we're a brand new church. And as a new church, we're affiliated with two larger networks. One network is called the Church Multiplication Network, in which we plant churches all across the country. Last year, we planted 406 churches. We were one of them. So we helped start 406 churches. And just last week, they announced that we have a vision for 10,000 churches in the next 10 years planted here in America. And so you get to be a part of that by planting this church. In addition to church multiplication, we're also affiliated with what's known as the Assemblies of God. And so while there may be a room full of us in this room, there's actually 67 million other people who are a part of our network all across the world. And so we are a part of the dispersion when it comes to those networks. And that's what James is saying. James is writing one message to one church in many different locations. So what is the message that James is going to tell us in which we gather under? Well, he gives us three things. He says, Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we gather under. In these three words, you actually have three individual titles. So he says, Lord, that Jesus is Lord. What that means is that he is high, he is exalted, he is worthy, he is glorious of all honor and praise, that Jesus is king and we live to serve him. So Jesus first is our Lord. 
And then it's going to say Jesus, which means salvation. The name Jesus is an Old Testament derivative of the name Joshua, which means salvation. So Jesus saves us from our sins. He redeems us from our old life. He gives us hope and grace and mercy. All of that is found in Jesus. So Jesus is Lord. He's our Savior. And then he says Christ. Now, Christ is not Jesus' last name. Okay, I don't know if you guys knew that or not, but Christ is not Jesus' last name. It's actually a title. And the title Christ means the holy and the anointed one. That in eternity past, God chose Jesus as the first fruits of all of creation to enter into this world, to live a life without sin, empowered by the Holy Spirit to go to the cross, to die in our place so that way we can receive grace. That Jesus is the Christ. So he gives us three titles. This is what we gather under. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Savior. Jesus is Christ. That's the message. And here James says, as Jesus is Lord, I am his what? Servants. I love that. I love that James starts off by saying, Jesus is Lord, I'm his servant. Because James could have said, I'm the leader. I'm the boss. I'm the pastor. You need to listen to me. You need to do what I say. I say what goes. I'm the one who's in authority. James doesn't do that. I mean, he could have, but he didn't. I love this. James doesn't start off by saying, I'm the leader. He says, I'm the servant. I love that. And I'm going to make the argument throughout the course of the series that James is Jesus's half-brother, that James is Jesus's little brother. And some of you ask, okay, well, why doesn't he just say that? Or how do you know that this is the relationship in which they have? I'll give you three reasons real quick as to why. First, James doesn't have to say, I'm Jesus's brother, because he didn't need an introduction. If you, if you know Jesus, then you're going to know who his family is. So James didn't have to go around telling people his relationship with him. In the same way, if you come to redemption, you're going to get to meet my family as well. Because all my family worships here. You're going to get to meet my wife because she's always by my side. You're going to meet my little girl. You're going to meet my grandparents because they host a community group. They're on the prayer team. My brothers and sisters and my nephew, like they all worship here as well. And so if you get connected in the church, you're going to ultimately get to know my family. And so James, he didn't need an introduction. So that one's pretty simple. The second reason is that their relationship is implied in the text. James is a very popular name throughout the Bible. You're going to meet a lot of people named James. And every time someone named James is mentioned, it always also mentions their family lineage or the area in which they're from. So it's like James, son of this guy, James, son of that guy, James from this place, James from that place. But any time that that additional information is omitted, Scholars and commentators agree that it's talking about James, the Lord's brother. So that's the James in which we're speaking of. And then the third reason is that if James was to just start off by saying, I'm Jesus's brother, then everybody could interpret that as, as him being proud, that he's bragging or that he's boastful about the relationship that he has with Jesus, almost as if there's some sort of authority tied to his, his family. And James doesn't do that. Instead, James says, I am his servant, because James is, is humble just like Jesus. He learned this from his big brother. Jesus said, I did not come to be served, but rather I came to serve. And that's the same heart and attitude that James has, that I am a servant. He says, yeah, maybe me and Jesus used to, used to play on the slip and slide, and maybe we build couch forts in the living room when we were kids, but now... Jesus is my Lord, my Savior, my Christ, and I exist to serve and follow him. That's James. And what I love so much about James's story is that James didn't start off as a believer. 
What's interesting about James' testimony is that he was actually a skeptic. He didn't know, trust, follow, serve Jesus. He was more skeptical throughout the course of his life. Just like most influential men of the faith, James did not start off as a believer. They started off as skeptics. Consider Peter. He walked with Jesus for three years during his ministry, and even in Jesus' crucifixion, he still denied him. Or maybe Paul. The missionary church planter who's wrote more books of the Bible than anyone else. When we first meet Paul, he is murdering Christians, opposing the church, and he hates Jesus. Or Thomas, the great missionary throughout church history who walked with Jesus, but he didn't believe in Jesus until he saw the resurrected Christ and touched his hands and feet. Most of the most influential people in the faith started off as skeptics. James starts there. He doesn't believe in Jesus. He doesn't follow Jesus. He doubts him. He disrespects him. He dishonors him. And then he discourages Jesus through his life. And here's why I love James. Because James' story is our story. The story of James is very similar to our story. I'm willing to bet that the majority of people in this room, you had some sort of church influence in your life growing up. You had some sort of Christian nominal faith as a kid. Whether it was your parents dragged you to church, you had a praying grandmother and you went to her little old Baptist church. Maybe you, you started in Sunday school or you went to youth group. You know, maybe you were baptized as a, as a baby or maybe you got married in the church. But you have to have some sort of faith background or upbringing. And that's exactly where James was. James knew who Jesus was. James knew that Jesus existed. James grew up in a very religious environment. Yet James still did not trust and serve and follow Jesus. And that's probably most like many of our story. He was a skeptic. And I want you to see as we study this that James is going to make a transition in his faith, that something is going to happen in James's life, that he moves from just being a skeptic to a servant. Something changes to where he goes from being a mere brother to a bold believer. And I want that same journey to be your journey, that you would see the life of James and that you would, be, you would know it's okay for you to step out, for you to trust and to, for you to follow. So let's take a look at James and Jesus' relationship throughout the Gospels. First, we see this, that James disrespected Jesus. In Mark chapter 3, here's what it says. And when his family heard it, this is talking about Jesus' family, they went out to seize him, for they were saying he is what? Out of his mind. And his mother and his brothers came standing outside they sent to him and they called him and a great crowd was gathered around them and they said to him Jesus your mother and brother are outside and they are seeking you so here's Jesus he's about 30 years old he has left his family's house he has entered into his public life and ministry traveling around preaching the gospel so he doesn't see his family very often but he does see them on occasion Okay, he has moved out. He is independent of his family. Think about it like this. Some of you have moved here for college. So you're going to college here. You're off on your own for your very first time. Or maybe you moved here for work. You work at a plant. Maybe you're an engineer or you have some other career and vocation. And so you're independent of your family for the first time. Maybe you've moved away or you've moved here to start a new life, to find adventure, to, to really kind of understand who you are and your identity. And so that's where you're at. You're, you're on your own. That's where Jesus finds himself at. That he doesn't see his family very often, but he does see his family on occasion. He doesn't choose his brothers to be his disciples. He doesn't buy a house across the street from Mary so he could go over there on Friday night, game nights, and family dinner. Okay? He doesn't see his family often, but he does see them on occasion. Now, what happens when his family shows up? 
What do we see here? They think he is what? Out of his mind. Jesus' family thinks he is insane, that he has totally lost it. A great crowd's gathering around while Jesus is preaching. He's telling everyone who he is, and he's preaching a sermon. And someone in the crowd, they get a little bit concerned. They start to worry about Jesus. Uh, I, I don't know what's going on. Like, this is, this is crazy. They become concerned about Jesus, so they pick up the phone, and they call James. They say, James, you need to get down here. Your brother has lost it. He is insane. Well, what's Jesus saying? Uh, he's saying that he's God and that he has come down from heaven to judge the living and the dead. Yeah, that's, that's pretty crazy. We need to get down there. We need to have an intervention for him. But if you just think about it, what would you do if your brother started saying, I'm God and you need to worship me? How would you respond? Like, I wouldn't pick you as God, maybe Satan, but definitely not God. I mean, I grew up with you. I mean, you gave me the wedgies. You picked me up by my head. You locked me outside in the cold. Like, not God. Satan, yes. God, no. That's where James was. That's probably how most of us would be. Like, if you got on Facebook and your brother was like, I'm God, you need to worship me, then you'd be like, okay, okay, he is not the sharpest tool in the shed. Let's just go ahead. Let's bring him back home. It's going to be okay. All right, take a nap. Here's a Xanax. Like, everything's going to be all right. No more Facebook for you. Okay, it's going to be okay. That's what James did. They're like, Jesus, you got to come home. Right? You are insane. He disrespects Jesus. The second thing we see is this is that James dishonors Jesus in Mark chapter 6. Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of who? James. So there's our proof. The brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon. And are not his sisters here with us as well? So it's referencing all of Jesus' family. Mother, brothers, sisters. It's a large family. And just as a side note, how bummed do you have to be to, to be the brother named Judas? Right? Oh, Judas? Yeah, I'm not that Judas. Totally different guy. Not that Judas. Right? Just, a, just a side note. Something I found interesting. Anyway, moving on. So all of his family, they were offended at him. How many of you have ever been offended by Jesus? Like some of the things Jesus says are a little tough. Like, I'm God. I'm the only way to heaven. That no man can come to the Father except by me. Right? Some of the things that Jesus said is, is pretty offensive. And so if you're in the place where you take offense at Jesus then you're in a pretty good spot because even his family were offended by the things in which Jesus taught. And then Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and even in his own household. Jesus says, I preach and I teach and people come from miles around just to listen to me. I'm a prophet. He declares himself to be a prophet. You know, Moses, Abraham, Elijah, I'm like that. I'm bigger than that. And people come from miles around to listen to my teaching. And everyone respects me, and everyone honors me, and everyone listens to me, except for my own family. My own family. They won't even listen to me. How many of you ever tried to talk to your parents about something and they totally disregard you? How many of you ever tried to have an honest conversation with a brother and sister and they, they won't listen to you? Or you try to share your faith with a spouse a husband, a wife, or maybe you, you try to teach your children something and they don't want to listen to it. All they want to do is argue. They don't want to hear anything from you. Ever been there? Sometimes family can be very tough. Sometimes family can be very hard. Sometimes your family is the last people to see who for you truly are. Sometimes your family are the hardest people to convince because they know you better than anyone else. And if you're ever in that place and you have that type of family, just know you're on your way to be, becoming more like Jesus. Because home is the hardest mission field. And Jesus knows this because Jesus' own family disbelieves him. 
The next time we meet him is in John chapter 7. Jesus' brothers say, leave here and go to Judea so that your disciples may see the works in which you're doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things and show yourself to the world, for not even his own brothers, what? Believed in him. Not even his own family believed in him. Can you, have you ever reached such a point of frustration and disagreement with someone to where like, you know what? If that's what you want to do, just leave. Get out of here. Go. I don't want to see you. I don't want to talk to you. You think you got some big plan that you, you're God. You got some big message and you're going to change the world. Leave. Go. Prove me wrong. That's where James was. He told Jesus, just get out of here. You know, maybe it's easy for you to build a crowd here in the small town, but go to the big city. Go see if people are going to listen to you there when nobody even knows your name. You're going to go there. They're going to chew you up, spit you out, eat you alive. You're going to come home. You're going to grovel. You're going to beg. And you're going to say, you were right. I was wrong. I told you so. Have you ever been there? Sometimes family can be very conflicting. Sometimes our family can be very discouraging. Sometimes family can be confusing. And this is why this is important. Okay, I want you to see this, that some of you are exactly where James was. So you're you're still a skeptic. You don't really trust Jesus. You don't really follow him. You don't really know what you think. You You come to Jesus and you think, this is a little crazy. You come to Christianity and you think it doesn't really make sense. You mean to tell me that you really believe that a man was born of a virgin and then rose from the dead. Yeah, that, that, that seems like a stretch to me. I'm not yet ready to, to believe in that. You're still in the skeptic phase of your faith. Or others of you, you grew up in the church, and you believe that just because you went to church, you were baptized as a child, or maybe your grandparents prayed for you, or that you felt really guilty at youth camp one time when you were 14 and you prayed a prayer, that that makes you a Christian. You were raised religious, but you don't have faith in Jesus. You're in the same place in which James was. And I want you to know this, it's okay for you to start there, but I want you to move to something greater. I want you to move from just being a mere brother to a bold believer as James does, because here's here's what happens. Jesus does leave town. Jesus does go to the city. Jesus does declare himself to be God. Jesus says, I am God. And those claims in which Jesus made, they're either truth or they are false. But they are claims in which Jesus said about himself. And his family was well aware of the claims in which Jesus said. Because he taught openly. He preached publicly. He healed the sick. He cast out demons. He performed miracles. He did it all. And for that reason, he was murdered. Not just because of his works, but also because of his words that Jesus declared himself to be God. And some of you, you have been lied to. You've been told that Jesus never said he was God or that in your history or philosophy class that Jesus never really existed or claimed to be God, but that instead he was a victim of societal or political unrest. And in a sense, that is true. But the unrest comes from the claims in which Jesus made about himself. See, the Roman government, they couldn't have Jesus declaring himself to be God because to them, Caesar was the only one to be worshipped as God. The military officials, they couldn't have Jesus usurping their authority. And then the religious leaders of the Jewish faith, they were offended and opposed by Jesus' message. And everybody got together and everybody agreed, this man must die because Jesus declared himself to be God. And the charges that they gave against him, the indictment they read on Jesus' last day was this, because you, a mere man, 
claim to be God. If you are here today and you are not a Christian, you have to wrestle with this. You have to wrestle with the claims in which Jesus made. And here's what you can't do. You can't say that Jesus' family was in on it. You can't say that it was a scam invented by his family because we see here that even his family disbelieved him. You can't say that it was his followers or friends that invented this myth because even his followers denied him that Jesus went to the cross alone, opposed, resisted, murdered because of the claims when he said, I am God. And as Jesus is on the cross, nailed to the tree, lifted up, Naked, ashamed, bloody, bruised, battered. Guess who is there at the foot of the cross? Jesus' family. Here's what happens. John 19. Standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister. Jesus' family watches him be crucified. For all of you moms, imagine if you were Mary. Do you remember the day that you held your son or your daughter for the first time? In the hospital, you held them and you gave them a kiss and you counted their 10 fingers and 10 toes and their tiny hand wrapped around your finger for the first time. You never imagined that that hand would be nailed to a tree and murdered openly. Can you imagine if you were Mary at the foot of the cross? That the the sights, the sound, the terror, the horror of that moment to watch your child murdered. For you brothers and sisters, you grew up as kids and you played together and you held hands and you gave hugs and you gave high fives. You never imagined that that arm would be ripped from its sockets and hung on public display. This was the moment that you always feared. This is the reason that you wanted to bring him home, not because you hated him, but because you loved him, because you're concerned for him, because you knew what happened when people made the claims that he did. You knew what happened to people who lived the life in which Jesus lived, that they didn't just get away with it, that they would be crucified because of the claims that they made. And so you're trying because you love and you want to bring him back home because you are concerned for him. And James watches Jesus die. And James sees him as Jesus is dead. They take his body off the cross. They wrap it in up to 100 pounds of burial cloths and they throw it in a tomb. They roll the stone away. As Jesus is dead, Mary is devastated. James is distraught. The family is destroyed. I can imagine them at the funeral for Jesus and they're gathering around and they're, they're weeping and they're crying and they're telling stories about Jesus' life in those early years. And they're mourning the loss of their brother's life. But then three days later, the unthinkable happens. And a dramatic turn of events. Something the world has never seen, never will see again. That Jesus was dead and then Jesus is risen. That Jesus is alive. That Jesus resurrects. The resurrection of Jesus is the proof that everything he said about himself is true. His resurrection is his vindication. That Jesus was dead and then he's alive. That Jesus is victorious. Jesus conquers death. Jesus conquers Satan, sin, hell, the grave and the effects. The wages of sin is death. And because Jesus had no sin, death could not hold him. And Jesus is alive. And he lives. And Paul tells us what happens next. Who was the first person that Jesus went to upon his resurrection? 
1 Corinthians tells us, then he, being Jesus, appeared to who? James. How did that happen? Could you imagine if you were you're James? Jesus shows up. Hey, it's me, Jesus. Seriously? Yeah, I rose from the dead. Here I am. I'm God. I told you so. How would James respond? Like, James lives his life. Jesus, I told you so. Jesus is like, gotcha, buddy. Right? I'm God. Worship me. How did that happen? Did Jesus go knock on the door? Hey, open up. Who is it? Jesus. Oh, my God. It's you, God. Right? How did that moment take place? I mean, if you get to heaven, please do me a favor. Find James. Ask him, what did you do? Did you, did you laugh? Did you cry? Did you hug him? Did you pick him up? Did you fall down on your knees and worship him? What happened? How did that happen? Because here's the deal. This changes James' life forever. Everything changes when James meets the resurrected living Jesus Christ, his Savior. Throughout the Gospels, James was in, he was out, he was hot, he was cold, he was a brother, but now he's a believer. He was a skeptic, but now he's a servant. Because when you meet Jesus, everything changes. And redemption, I want you to meet Jesus like James meets Jesus. Not for you just to have an encounter with a dead historical Jesus or a dead Sunday school faith. I want you to meet the risen, the living Jesus Christ. Because when you meet Jesus like James, everything changes. And James, he believes. And James, James serves. See, James becomes bold. After meeting Jesus, James becomes confident and courageous. He becomes strong. And James changes the world by joining a church. See, James was the first person that Jesus went to. And he was the first person to witness the resurrected Jesus. But because of the testimony and the servanthood heart of James, today three billion people worship Jesus as Lord because James served. James joins the early church. And on the first day the church came into existence, Jesus' family, they were there in attendance. Here's what the Gospels tell us. I mean, the book of Acts, rather, tells us about that early church. Acts chapter 1. And these, they were gathered together in one accord. They were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and who? Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. So on Launch Sunday, opening day of the very first church plant in Jerusalem. There we have Jesus' family. Right? I, 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 some of you, you, you were part of our church when we planted the church a year ago. So you, you know what, what work it takes to launch a new church. So you're serving, you were giving, you were in a community group, you were faithful, you worked hard, you broke a sweat. I can imagine that's exactly where Jesus' family is at. On that first Sunday, they're on the serve team. I can imagine James unloading the trailer. Right, and, and stacking chairs and stuffing envelopes. I can imagine Mary, Jesus' mom, on the intercessory prayer team. I can see Jesus' sisters working kids' check-in in the cafe. Right, that's that's Jesus' family. That's the first church. And it was a church about 120, probably about the size of ours. And so when we make the move to two services, some of you, you're going to get the chance to serve, and you're going to experience the same joy, the same growth in which James saw in that first church. And so they gathered together, and then on Pentecost Sunday, the opening day for the first church, the Holy Spirit is poured out, and 3,000 people come to know Christ. And the church, it explodes with growth, 
Because the goal of a good church is to grow. And so they start serving. And as they serve, more people come into the church. More people find passion. More people meet Jesus. More people get saved because the family of God serves. And as they begin to serve, they begin to travel around in their everyday life, telling people about the good news of Jesus. People are getting set free and healed and delivered and and they're restored in their life. And the church explodes with growth. Several years go by. James continues to grow in his faith. James continues to serve in the church. And then James becomes a pastor, becomes the pastor of the church in Jerusalem. And as he's the pastor of the church, the church then disperses all across the area because of a persecution that happens. So they start sending out church planters all across the world to go and start churches to reach people that nobody has ever reached before. And one of the church planters is a man named Paul. You might have heard about him. He's kind of a big deal. And they send out a man named Paul. And Paul starts planting churches. And people who are far from God, they come to know Christ. People find passion and identity and purpose and direction in their life. And the church, it just begins to explode with a beautiful growth. The only problem is that people don't know what to do. Because up until that time, if you were a Christian, you were actually Jewish. And the church in Jerusalem is the mother church. And so as people came to faith, they actually had to become Jewish in order to do that. And here's the problem with this, is that all the new believers, they're Gentiles. People like you and me. People from different backgrounds, upbringings, from different belief structures, different ethnicities, income. They weren't Jewish. And so as they were coming into church, nobody knew what to do with them. Like, do we have to become Jewish in order to become a Christian? Like, do the men need to be circumcised? I don't know. We should double check on that. Can we eat pork? Do we need to stop eating shrimp? I don't know. Let's double check. Like, we'll figure this out. So the church doesn't know how to assimilate all of these new believers. So they said, okay, we need to have a meeting. And this might be the most important meeting in the history of the world. That is not an understatement. They called together all the top leaders, all of the lead pastors, all of the top brass in the church have a closed door invite only meeting. They say, everybody come to Jerusalem. We're going to figure this out. In Acts chapter 15, we see what's called the Council of Jerusalem. And they get all of the top leaders at the table. And here's who's at the table. Peter, Jesus' chosen apostle to lead the church. James, Jesus' brother, pastor of the first church. And then Paul, the missionary church planter. That is an amazing meeting. Peter, James, Paul gather together to figure out the future of the church. So they're sitting there in the room, and it's quiet. And this has never happened before. What do we do with all these new people? And Peter says, Paul, you've been out on the mission field. You're the one who's planting churches. Tell us what's going on, what's happening. And the room is quiet. Paul speaks. Paul says, there is an explosion People are meeting Jesus left and right. Churches are being planted overnight. People are coming to the Lord. People are repenting of their sins. People are reading their Bibles. It is a revival. There are many of them. We don't know what to do. People are getting saved faster than we can plant churches, and they are hungry for the Lord, and they want more. And the room falls quiet again. What happens next? What do we do? We've heard the report. 
How do we respond? Who's going to talk next? Who's going to speak on behalf of God? Who's going to be empowered by the Holy Spirit to change the future of the church forever? Who is it going to be? And then James stands up. And James says, brothers, listen to me. He calls them brothers. He calls Peter and Paul brothers. See, the God makes us a family. Brothers, listen to me. And then what James says next changes the trajectory of the church. He says, it is my judgment that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God. James is the reason that you're in this room today. James is the reason that you are a Christian today. James, by declaring this, opens up a floodgate of a massive revival for people of all backgrounds and beliefs, of all different races, ethnicities, incomes, affiliations, to be welcomed into the family of God, to be servants of the family of God, that we were far from God. And because of James, Jesus makes us a family. James is the reason that you're in this room. James is the reason that Redemption Church exists. It wouldn't be here if it wasn't for James' bold declaration that James changed the world forever. And redemption, this is why I'm so excited for us to be studying the book of James, for us to be learning from him, listening to him, ultimately so we can live a life just like him, to bring glory to God and the future of the church for the good of the world. We need to learn from James. We need to listen to James. If Paul will listen to James, if Peter will listen to James, we need to open up our ears. We need to listen to what James has to tell us. That James is bold in his faith. He is confident in the Lord. He is strong in his church. And James changed the world forever. We haven't listened to him enough. We haven't considered Jesus' family enough. They haven't gotten the attention, the notoriety, the messages in which they deserve, which is why I'm so excited for us to be spending this time studying the book of James. So that way we can join the family of God. And here's what I don't want to happen. I don't want you to think, man, I wish I could be like James. I don't want you to think, man, I wish I could be like Jesus's family. See, there's a danger in that because you could think, I want to be like them, but Jesus is saying, I want you to become them. That we wouldn't just look at Mary and James and Jesus's family like, man, I would like to be like them. Jesus is inviting you to become a part of his family. So how do we become a part of the family of God? Jesus tells us in Mark, he says, for whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Jesus says, if you will serve me, I'll be your brother. That you can have relationship with me. Just like my family did, I will adopt you into my family and I will be your big brother if you will serve me. Some of you, you feel far from God. Today, you feel far from him. Say, well, I I know that Jesus is, I don't know if he's Lord. I feel far from him. I, I want to serve him. I want to follow him, but I'm not yet ready to trust him. I, I read my Bible sometimes. I go to church sometimes. I'm not really in a group, but I, I feel far from God. Might I submit to you, God's not far from you. Maybe you're not near to him. 
Maybe you haven't drawn near to him because he's drawing near to you. Maybe the problem is not with him. Maybe the problem is with us, that we are not working where he is working. We are not moving where he is moving. We are not listening when he speaks to us. We are not going to him when he is calling us. We are not serving him when he teaches us to serve. Maybe the problem is not with God. Maybe the problem's with us. How many of you would love to be Jesus's brother? For you ladies, right? Moms, you think, man, I... I would love to be like Mary. Just to, just to know Jesus like that. Jesus is saying, hey, if you serve me, I'll be, your, I'll be your son. And I'll treat you just like I treat my own mom. If you will serve me, I'll love you. I'll, I'll be there for you. I'll, I'll walk alongside you. I'll spend time with you. I'll, I'll sit with you. I will, I, will, I will love you just like I love my own mom if you will serve me. How many of you ladies think, man, I would love to have Jesus as a big brother? I would love that. Jesus says, hey, if you come to me, I'll be your big brother. Right? I'll look after you. I'll protect you. I'll provide for you. I'll be there for you. I'll treat you just like my sister if you will serve me. How many of you guys say, man, I would love to have Jesus as a brother? Right? I would love to have Jesus. Can you, can you imagine what life would be like if Jesus was my brother? Jesus saying, if you serve me, I'll be your brother. Come on, guys. Come on, men. We got work to do. We got churches to plant. We got a life to live. We got work to do. We need, we need you. Ladies, we need you in this church. Moms, we need spiritual mothers in this church. Brothers, you need to get to work. We got work to do. We got churches to plant. We got missionaries to send. There's still work for us to be done. If you will serve me, I'll be your brother. See, here's the deal. Jesus is inviting us to be his brother, but only if you will serve him you'll serve him like his family because the family of God is known by the works of God. And some of you, you're here and you're still that skeptic. You're still not sure if you can take that leap into faith. I want you to know this. It's okay. We say here at Redemption, if you meet the family, you'll meet the father. That if you hang out with us, the brothers and sisters, if you serve with us, if you walk with us, if you listen to us, if you join a community group with us, if you hang out with us, eventually you will meet the family and you will meet the father. God is a father and he adopts kids just like you. He brings kids just like you and his family. I'll clean you up. I'll take you. I love you. Come on in. There's plenty of room in my family. And as you enter into the family of God, Jesus becomes our big brother. So here's what I want us to do. I want us to listen and learn from James. I don't want us to, as a church to be a church that just knows a lot, but I want us to be a church that does. I don't want us just to be the type of church that has information. I want us to be the church that has transformation, that, not, that we would not just know about life, but we would be a church that lives a life from God and that we will serve in the way in which James teaches. And so here's what we're going to do. Okay, I'm going to give you an opportunity to serve just like James. Okay, I'm going to give you the opportunity. When you walked in, everybody got one of these cards, right? Join the team. Okay, I'm going to give you the opportunity to put this to practice. On September 10th, Redemption Church is moving to two worship gatherings, a 9.30 and 11.15, which means we have room for you to serve. We've created opportunities for you to serve, to get your passion and pleasure, to find your purpose in the life of the church. You could be like James, unloading the trailer. You could be like Mary, in prayer. You could be like Jesus' sisters, setting up. And when the Holy Spirit falls in this church and we begin to grow, you will have a part to play in that. And so we want you to serve. Simply fill it out, drop it in the 
offering basket at the end of the gathering. One of our team members will contact you throughout the week. We'll get you signed up. We'll get you trained. We'll get you serving. Don't worry. I don't know what I'm doing. Don't worry. None of us do, but together we make it better. And so we would love for you to join. Find your spot. Be like James. Become a servant. Redemption Church meets every Sunday morning on Crockett Street at The Gig. If you would like to know more, you can find us online at www.redemptiontx.com or join us at 10.30 a.m. Sunday mornings in downtown Beaumont. Kids are always welcome too. We are Redemption, and we would love to meet you.